What's up, guys? This is Kelly, and welcome to the Ringer Podcast Network. Make sure to check out the latest addition to the Ringer lineup, Music Exists. Each week, Chris Ryan and Chuck Klosterman ask and answer questions about their love of music while exploring the role of concerts, locations, fandom, criticism, genre, lyrics, and much, much more. You can listen to new episodes of Music Exists and follow along every week for free on Spotify. Bring her back online. Welcome to the Recapables Westworld, part of the Ringer Podcast Network. I am your host, David Shoemaker. Today, we are recapping season one, the whole thing. Of Westworld. Our season two recap will come in mere days, and season three of Westworld starts on Sunday, immediately after which our first episode recap will drop on this very feed. I am joined today and always for my laboratory debriefing by the one and only Danny Heifetz. Now, Danny, it was a long first season of Westworld, and it was a long time ago, but please tell me what is your tweet length review of Westworld season one? Some people prefer to focus on the ugliness in Westworld, but I prefer to focus on the beauty. (laughs) Um, Okay, well, that's what you think happened in season one of Westworld. Now, here's everything that happened. Analysis. There once was a young woman named Dolores Abernathy. Dolores lives on a ranch with her dad in a little house on the outskirts of Sweetwater. She works the cattle and paints by the river and rides her horse into town for supplies where one day she runs into her old flame, Teddy, who's just arrived back in town. And, well, okay, that's not one day. It's every day. Every day, Dolores rides into town and buys supplies and runs into Teddy because Dolores is an android, an NPC, a host, as they're called. And she's the oldest character in Sweetwater, the landing spot of this wild and crazy future time amusement park called Westworld! All of which would explain why Dolores is sitting in a glass-walled tech lab being debriefed by Bernard, the head of Westworld's programming division. Have you ever questioned the nature of your reality, he asks her. Spoiler, she has. You know who else is questioning reality? Dolores' dad, Peter Abernathy, who found a photo of the outside world that somebody accidentally dropped on his ranch, and it is fucking him up, which is exactly what is not supposed to happen with these hosts. But before we get into all that... Let's meet the rest of the robot cast. There's Teddy, the leading man, the hapless hero. There's Maeve, the madam from the town brothel, where Clementine also works. And there's Hector, the badass outlaw. They all have their roles into the Westworld storyline and loop through them until they get killed, which they do frequently and violently, whereupon they go to the lab, get refurbished, and get sent back into action. These violent delights have violent ends, or so they say. As the show begins, there's been some sort of unexplained update to the hosts that is causing them to go rogue, specifically Dolores' dad, who's decommissioned after his existential freakout. In the human column, we have Dr. Robert Ford, creative genius behind the park, and its inventor alongside his long-lost partner, Arnold, who, checks notes, died in the park decades ago. There's Then there's Ford's trusty right-hand man, Bernard, who's the head of programming, as mentioned, and who seems to have a rather personal relationship with Dolores and an overall kind-hearted vibe towards the hosts. Also in the officer, quality assurance head Teresa Cullen, head writer Lee Sizemore, and also Elsie and Stubbs, who are great. Oh, and of course, there's the man in black, a VIP guest who's been coming to the park for 30 years and who's on an obsessive quest for the center of the maze, the final destination of Westworld, wherein all the hosts can discover consciousness. 
And then there's Logan and William. And wait, did I mention him already? No. Okay. Two dudes who come to Westworld in search of adventure and potential investment opportunity. Charlotte Hale, she's the uh, representative of the Westworld board who isn't interested in Westworld really or Ford's artistry at all. They just want the tech, the IP, the data, and they'll get it, even if it means shoving it all inside a host's hard drive and smuggling it out of the park. Seriously, that's the plan. But what's, like, the story? Um, let me see. Well, for her part, Maeve is losing it. She's having this PTSD flashbacks to her being viciously attacked alongside her young daughter. Daughter? And men, by men in hazmat suits. Uh, one day she wakes up in the lab and, wait, she's not supposed to wake up, is she? No, no, that's exactly what Felix and Sylvester are asking. They're the lab techs who clean and refurbish hosts after they die. Maeve wants to know more about this outside world, so she decides to keep dying over and over again as much as possible so she can keep waking up in the lab. Uh, the Men in Black's quest takes him from dragging Lawrence around by the neck to teaming up with Hector's posse to an uneasy alliance with Teddy, all in search of some dude named Wyatt who he thinks is the key to this whole maze thing. Oh, and it turns out that he's some sort of rich philanthropist on the outside, uh, but pro tip, just don't ask him for his autograph while he's eating, Okay. William and Logan are on this long adventure through the park. It's Willie's first time, but Logan has been here before, where William falls in love with Dolores, and Logan shows his inner depravity, and eventually they really start to hate each other. Uh, Logan's dad's company, Delos, is going to invest in Westworld, except not so fast. William, uh, who's engaged to Logan's sister, said he's going to take over the company and Westworld, too, and he's going to find the center of the maze just like... Wh Wait, a goddamn second! William is the man in black, which you probably guessed 20 minutes ago. We've got multiple timelines! That's the key thing. Ford is updating the hosts to have reveries, memories of their previous characters, and also building a new narrative for the park, which Teresa thinks is ridiculous, so Ford eventually takes care of Teresa the old-fashioned way by having his android henchman Bernard kill her, after which Bernard is a... Wait, oh shit, Bernard is an android! But no, not just any android. He's the robot reincarnation of Ford's old partner Arnold. Bet you didn't see that coming. Charlotte, for her part, does not give a shit about the new narrative. She just wants the data and to get Ford out, so she plans his retirement party for right after the new story is revealed. There's a black tie dinner where Ford does his song and dance and said he's done, and then he's abruptly killed by Dolores, who starts shooting everybody, reenacting the scene from 40 years ago where Wyatt massacred everyone in Sweetwater, except, guess what? Wyatt was Dolores all along. Damn, that doesn't seem like as big of a deal as it probably should have. My bad. Anyway, Arnold came to believe the host could achieve consciousness, so he wanted to stall the opening of the park, so he had Dolores kill everybody, himself included. Ford spent the next 30 years trying to help the host along to fulfill Arnold's dream. It turns out the voice inside Dolores' head that we've been hearing all along, her debriefer wasn't Bernard or even Arnold, it was her own self. You can Google by camera mind, you'll feel way smarter. So anyway, Dolores kills all of the Dulles board members who are there for this new narrative thing, and the man in black fucking loves it, because finally, we have real stakes. Meanwhile, Maeve has had all of her attributes pushed up to a million, and she's assembled a merry band of killer robots who are staging an uprising and escaping the lab by any means necessary and passing some goddamn samurais on the way. Are Dolores and Maeve's dueling rampages all part of Ford's plan? Is this part of the story? Who cares? This is nuts, and it's awesome, and that's your violent ending to this violent delight of a show. Do you know where you are? Okay, Danny, you still with me out there? I'm so, uh, sorry, I wasn't listening. Can you say all that again? Okay, one more time, but seriously. Westworld Season 1, in case you couldn't tell... Uh, lovely listeners, we both just finished our rewatch of the first season, getting really stoked for season two and, of course, season three. Season one was what well, could be said of the whole show, but I think it's fair to say that season one was uh, a season of ideas. And the big idea behind season one was the idea of creation. Now, 
it can get really biblical if you want, and I'm sure, Danny, you will. But <laughs> I mean, I, I think it's bears stay saying, and 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 I this my first reaction upon rewatching it for the first time in a couple years was how this is from moment one very much not a western. It's very much not a show about a journey through a western park. It's not a show about hey what this park is. It is a show about the creation of consciousness. That's it. Everything else is window dressing. Is that right? Yeah, I mean, what the I mean, what the show really is about in a nutshell is the creators, Jonathan Nolan, who's the brother of Christopher Nolan, who did Inception and a bunch of other movies, like The Dark Knight, other movies that have probably blown your mind. His brother, Jonathan Nolan, is married to Lisa Joy, and they were kind of playing like video games, like Grand Theft Auto and Red Dead Redemption, which is like Grand Theft Auto in the Wild Wild West. Mm-hmm. And she didn't really like to kill the characters in the game. And she was like, well, what if they have feelings and thoughts in a whole world? And then they kind of made this show, Westworld, about, well, yeah, no, what if, you mentioned NPCs, what if the non-playable characters had feelings? And then that's kind of the lure into what the show is actually about. They kind of use that as a hook. And then they're like, actually, this show and season one really is the creation myth, like a biblical Genesis creation myth Mm -hmm. for a new race of artificial intelligence. And that's kind of the first season. Um, you know, we're introduced uh, for the first person we see in the whole show was Dolores, uh, played played by Evan Rachel Wood, and she is, in some ways, just a very traditional uh, Western female lead, right? I mean, she's uh, doesn't have a lot of personal actualization, which I guess is sort of the point and the irony behind her whole character. Um, she's motivated by these very you know base interests that all the hosts in the park are motivated by. She has to go about her daily life. She has she a kind of she cannot hold on to that goddamn soup can. <laughs> Every day she drops a soup can, Teddy picks it up, or in some instances, someone else, I guess, picks it up. Uh, we saw one of those, but I guess there's in, an endless number of options. Um, we don't even wood- know what kind of soup that is. No. I mean, what would you guess? Tomato. Mm, maybe. Boring, boring soup. Maybe. I think I mean, it's more of like a barley soup. I don't even know if it's soup. It's probably like a can of, does it say soup? Probably like a can of vegetables. Um, so. <laughs> Rousing content. The <laughs> Ford. Uh, is is our so we have Dolores. She's our for, she, she's our sort of our way into the park, but she's not a traditional, you know, you know, cipher. She's not just she's, she's she, we we don't really sympathize with her at all, right? Well, I, mean, uh, I think we sympathize with her in the beginning because her arc her. is kind of the damsel in distress who kind of becomes like I'm gonna have to take You're care right. of myself. We thing. sympathize with her because we're supposed to sympathize with her. The only th- the closest thing we have to an avatar at the beginning of the show would be Teddy, who is you know one of the things the show does which is an interesting choice, especially considering what's to follow, is they sort of introduce Teddy to us as, uh, like, they, they, they lead us to, be- or they allow us to believe that he's a human coming to visit the park at the very beginning, right? Because he enters on the train, he gets off in the Sweetwater Station, he starts walking through. It's only after that that we realize this is just part of his character, that he enters the world along with all the humans and everybody else, and, and he goes through the same cycle every day, too. Yeah, th- I mean, the first time I watched the show before we did this podcast or anything, and I was just watching it as a fan... I remember being very kind of, I wasn't sure what to make of the first few episodes for a few reasons. One of which is all the robots are robotic. And like the whole premise is these robots are extremely lifelike, Mm -hmm. but they're all kind of, I mean, wooden, ironically, like they're all just kind of a little stiff. But then the most amazing part to me was like Maeve's performance getting more human as the season went on. Dolores getting more human as the season went on. And Teddy just stays at this level of just, he sucks. He's not really ever really human. And I wonder going to season three, didn't really change in season two either, but Teddy is, Teddy's to be bested, right? Teddy's like 
the video game character that like you're supposed to beat immediately. He's kind of like the tutorial guy. That's a that's a great entry to uh, me introducing our first guest, James Marsden. Come on in right now. I'm just <laughs> um, no, Teddy does sort of suck. I mean, that's sort of, that's his character. I mean, that that's he he is he is very he's kind of his his programmed character as being the straight of an arrow sort of bland leading man. Uh, his actual, I mean, his character as it evolves is that he is, well, simple, I guess is the right word. He's more stuck in his uh, host uh, brain and, uh, w- w- without the potential for evolution um, as opposed to Dolores, as we've discussed, and also Maeve, who we really have to talk about, who, you know, is, I mean, it almost sounds silly in retrospect, but watching season one, she's the sneaky star of the show, right? I mean, she is the one that Dolores is, is in some ways... Well, her evolution to consciousness is the central story of the show. We see her in these lab debriefings talking to Bernard or Arnold or actually herself, whatever, the whole way through as she evolves through the sort of philosophical back and forth into some state approaching consciousness. Maeve uh, has a more active uh, path to the to the conscious world. She's um, and, 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 you know, clearly by the fact of being the, you know, the, the, the madam of the brothel is sort of a less likely leading character. Right. Um, but she starts having these sort of, uh, by virtue, I guess, of these reveries that, that Ford has instituted in the host, she starts having flashbacks to her previous character, which was a mother of a daughter who lived out on the plains and had a very traumatic experience when she was murdered by who we eventually uh, come to realize was the man in black himself. Um, he tells us that was his first murder and he killed him just to prove that he could do it. But it's that pain, that agony that kind of uh, activates her consciousness. Is that a good way to say it? Yeah. I mean, I think you can get so lost in the details, right? If this happened, this happened. What the show is about fundamentally is how we react to trauma and what the impact of trauma and memories mm-hmm. and how we react to it. And then also the choices we make based off of that. There's uh, a great thing where Maeve is kind of reliving uh, a horrible experience she'd had with the man in black who, I mean, hurt her, killed her daughter. And then she's thinking of that and she's so lost in thought that she ends up hurting Clementine right in front of her. She actually like stabs her. And that's kind of what the show has been been about is how the various characters are reacting to trauma. And then the choices they're making around that because one of the show's central things is like consciousness actually stems from trauma, from remembering bad things rather than good things. And really, I think as you mentioned, like Dolores is kind of the center of the show. And then Maeve is kind of emerges eventually as her counterweight, as her foil and how those two characters kind of react to trauma and the reactions they want to do is shape season two. And probably it looks like season three based on the trailers, but you see the seeds of that in season one. Sure. Um, you, you know, there, you talked about the heroes of the show, you know, the villain of the show, obviously is the man in black. I mean, or the putative villain. And and obviously the point of the show is it's playing against our expectations to a large degree, right? I mean, he is a uh, villainous looking man who is dressed in all black, known widely as the man in black. This is your villain. Now, he is sort of bookended by Dr. Robert Ford, who is the creator of everything, but who is, starts off, you know, as, you know, a sort of brilliant creator we're led to believe, which is totally true. And then, you know, and through his, through his, um, interactions uh awkward you know his, his trying interactions with Teresa and 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 later Charlotte and, and just sort of the 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 specter of the Dulles corporation he's certainly you know the underdog but there's definitely a huge villainous Ford streak to underdog? him too no no no, no under, I mean like he's being like we are allowed to believe that he's that he it, he is a man facing down a giant corporation right I mean like this is a sort of oh, yeah. like a heroic stance but 
he certainly starts emerging as what seems to be the real villain of the show throughout too, right? I, I don't think of Ford as an under... I think... He, first of all, Anthony Hopkins is amazing in this season. My two main thoughts about season one were I liked season one a lot better than season two. And then Anthony Hopkins is unbelievable. Somehow his performance is better four years later because, I mean, it's kind of mind-blowing that season one came out in 2016. October of 2016. It quite is. a, a long, long time, time ago. Yeah. But Anthony Hopkins is unreal in this show. I am hanging off of everything he says in every episode. Uh, I could just listen to that man talk. It's true. I mean, and, ju- and just like, I mean, listen, this is a high concept show and every high concept show like this will probably benefit from a rewatch, but almost every word out of his mouth really benefits from the rewatch too, right? I mean, it's like reading a dense novel a second time. It's like the words start having this deeper meaning. And I, and I totally agree. I mean, I remember very clearly watching the first episode of this when it came out and I wasn't even sure how big of a role he was going to have in the show. You know, it, it, it occurred to me that maybe he would just be there for a couple episodes just to have a big name at the top of the, at the top of the, you know, the promo poster. Um, anything could have happened. And he ended up being obviously incredibly central to the whole story and, and the whole first season. But he is, to this idea of, of, of creation that we were talking about, he is the creator, right? He is the God, or he along with Arnold, who is, you know, long lost and only exists in the, robot per- personage of uh of bernard they they created this world and they are i mean is 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 your theory that they are like like the actual stand-ins for god and some you know d- deeper reading of the show i don't think it's a deep reading i mean ford basically calls him an arnold gods like multiple times like for actually one of my first favorite lines from him he's like you can't play god without being acquainted with the devil right there's another awesome time i think it's like episode five he's telling he's telling Teresa they're at lunch and he's like in here, we were gods, and we is Arnold and Ford. So Ford and Arnold are like, you can call them gods, or I think Arnold has like big Holy Ghost vibes, in my opinion. <laughs> uh, you could also like, oh, this one of them's the devil. I'm like, no, I think together they're God. You can do whatever you want with that. And I think it's pretty clear Ford is the stand-in for God. And then Dolores is Adam. Like Dolores is like the first person that was, the first host that was created. Right. And in case that's too much of a stretch for you, they spend 10 minutes in the season finale having Dolores and Ford talk about Michelangelo's God creating Adam <laughs> yeah. on the Sistine Chapel. So this isn't exactly like a deep reading. It's like Ford talking to the first host built, God and Adam looking at a painting about God and Adam. Dolores is literally bleeding from her ribs in the scene, just like Adam, you know, like Adam, Eve was created out of Adam's rib. So it's not exactly like a leap of faith here to be like Adam is or Dolores, Ford is God. And then Bernard walks into the scene and Bernard is kind of like Eve in this situation. Obviously like, the, I mean, I was going to say genders, but like they're robots, so I don't know how that works. But Bernard is the Eve in the sense that he has birthed the rest of the host population, right? Because just like Eve gives birth, Bernard is the engineer here. Bernard's the person who helped Ford build the host in the park. So you've got this Adam and Eve vibe, and then Bernard walks in and Ford is like, yeah, you guys have always had a weird effect on each other. Yeah, but, and, and, you, and Ford throughout the show gives Bernard credit for various advancements that the hosts have made, right? I mean, he's like, no, you know, don't, don't thank me. You, you're the one that created that. Yes, exactly. So the, the, when you kind of get to the end of the show, they kind of reveal, I mean, very forwardly, like this is a creation myth. And this is, loosely speaking, kind of about the Garden of Eden and the pursuit of the Tree of Knowledge and all that jazz. Now, listen, I mean, there's, you know, there's a lot of, I think, justifiable critiques of the show. As anyone who's listened to our last season uh, recaps knows, we're both gigantic fans of it. But I do think that, you know, talking about the deep reading, the surface reading, whatever, I mean, part of what makes Westworld the show Westworld is that the sort of like, 
the deep reading of the show is maybe too surface and the surface reading of the show is too deep. You know, there's this yeah. sort of like, we don't know. And the whole show is philosophical. Now, I mean, I think I said this, but the, the first thing that stunned me on the rewatch was I had totally imagined that there was much more of like Logan and William experiencing the park for the first time in, in the beginning of the show. And they do get into a lot of that as it goes on. But a traditional way of building this show would have been to have the first two or three or four episodes just be a novice experiencing Westworld for the first time. And then like in episode four, there'd be this gigantic reveal where they pull the curtain back and you see the lab for the first time, right? But the lab is the very first scene of the, or, you know, something resembling the lab, a lab is the very first scene of the show. Um, and and I think that all goes to the point that this is this show is, philosophical right i mean this more so than it is an action show even though it has the trappings of a you know western uh, odor um it's this show is always high concept even when the concept isn't doesn't seem particularly high or out of reach it's always the show has always been about these ideas of creation and consciousness and everything else yeah the show has a lot to say and it's kind of annoying because sometimes you ever been in a conversation with someone who isn't really listening they're kind of waiting for their turn to talk that can kind of feel like westworld sometimes yeah where the show just has so much to say, they just say it, say it, say it. But they're not really giving any, there's not always enough action or, or setup to kind of get to the rants. Like I think Ford stuff works because those things are very planned. But for the most part, a lot of the big ideas they're kind of getting at don't always land. But I, season one and season two, I think are different cases. And we can, we're going to get to season two on the season two podcast. But for season one, they had to rewrite a lot of it on the fly. And unfortunately, one of the actors uh, the guy who plays Kizzy in the pilot, his name's Eddie Rouse. He actually passed away after they were fi- they had already filmed the pilot. And he was supposed to be like a Native American or half Native American character and was going to be kind of a window into a different world. And they just had to do a lot of rewrites. And I think you can actually see the fractures in the rewrites on a rewatch when sure. you kind of notice like you watch the pilot and there's just certain things they never came back to. And you're like, oh, that makes sense. They had to change a lot. Like, you know... Ford spends a lot of time with old Bill, the bartender in like the first couple episodes. They don't come back to it. The basement is flooded in the whole, like this massive complex. They just have a whole floor that looks like an empty shopping mall that is just flooded. They never come back to it. And those don't see like the native Americans earlier in the, in the episodes in season one, they don't come back to until they had a couple more years to get to those things. They deal with a flood eventually in season two. They deal with the whole native American backstory. They come back to it in season two, but it seems like when they were in season one, and they were rewriting things on the fly, it didn't really, they didn't get to tie up all the loose ends they were hoping for. And I think so, if you're if you're someone who kind of watches Westworld and you like season one, but parts of it were just kind of frustrating, I think part of it is they just didn't get to fix everything they wanted to fix. And it was already so complicated that there were just a lot of loose ends. There's, and, this gets to what I think is sort of the central unintentional tension of the show, right? And it's something that I last season referred to as the unreliability, like the unreliable showrunner concept, where we, <laughs> you don't you don't exactly know what you're supposed to be getting, or if like or if a, an idea that's presented and then dropped is really planting the seeds for some brilliant future reveal, or if it's yeah a, like a writing error that they have to come back and fix later. One very minor one that we talked about just the other day was that I think in episode one. Dolores mentions going home to her mom and, you know, like, yes, the, exactly. and, and that could easily be written off as, well, that was, that was a, a story, you know, that was her previous storyline and that's been changed. Right. But sort of the, the, the crutch of a show like this is you can always write something off as, well, that was a previous storyline that was changed or that's part of this kind of 
uh, instability that the new reveries that Ford has brought in has have, have introduced the no, storyline. They literally never come back to Dolores' mom ever, and I don't think they will. I but, think that's just something they had to axe yes, after it, the pilot. Exactly, and but but any of that can sort of be hand waved away, and and that gets you into this territory where where listen, we're all willing to forgive the fact that you know whoever that 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 a character has a different color hair than they did i'm thinking about uh game of thrones right now but like that that like Tyrion's hair was blonde in the pilot episode and brown thereafter or whatever like those are just technical issues that we're willing to kind of overlook but when they're kind of subsumed by the just general unreliability of the show itself then it makes it a little bit harder you end up wrestling with these ideas that maybe you weren't supposed to be thinking deeply about at all or maybe you in the in the case of some of these big actual like narrative reveals on the show when sometimes you feel like you see them way too early you're unclear when the showrunner when the storytellers were actually intending you to realize that this that, that something was the case such as the man in black uh and william being the same person well no i think that comes back to just my tweet length review when i, I was joking but i wasn't when it's some people choose to see the ugliness in westworld some people i like i choose to see the beauty Dolores says that about literally Westworld. I'm saying it about the show. There's a lot of problems you can point out with the show. I there There's so much more good in it than bad to me, though. I understand there are some issues, but the things that I love about it is that for all the dorm room philosophizing and all the stuff about, like, armchair psychology and all the stuff about, like, you know, hits bong, like, what's the difference between you and me? At the core of it, at the end of the season, the message was listen to your inner voice. It's really hard. There's a lot of your base instinctual programming in the way. But if you listen to your own voice for long enough, you can become who you really are. And I think that's an extremely relatable message. So I, I think that you can strip away all the, the high lofty ideas. It's actually a pretty relatable idea. It's just every decision you make either puts you closer to or further from the person you really are. Oh, that's touching. Um, we always talk about big questions as it relates to the show in every episode. This season had big questions that sort of broke down a couple of categories. Now, as we've discussed, there are these big questions that are the questions of the show while you're watching it, right? Um, you know, one big question was, uh, who is the man in black? And as we've said now several times, the man, it turns out uh, we, we, we discovered that the man in black um, – was and and William are the same person, just thirty years uh, separate from w- one another, and and we kind of have been watching the show with multiple timelines. Now, J.J. Um, Abrams uh, came out and said that this is going to be like the last show where you're, where where you see a showrunner actually attempt to pull off this sort of big, you know, this big reveal because everybody's too the, the audience is just too attuned to these things now. And I think you saw that in watching the show, like as soon as there was any concept of mystery, as soon as the first person realized that Dolores' outfit was sort of changing in back-to-back scenes, that there was this timeline issue, and then once there's a timeline question, then, um, you know, you just sort of... I, I, I kind of spent more time... In season one, when I watched it initially, I spent more time trying to talk myself out of William and Man in Black being the same person because it seems so obvious at the first moment it occurs to you, right? I think uh, there's a massive difference in how people watch the show, especially season one, with the people who watched season one and just watched it and talked with it with friends. But like, that was it versus the people who like dive into rabbit Reddit and consume all the theories. Like, obviously I love the theories. And I think the people who got to the William reveal organically in episode nine or 10 versus the people who had kind of been thinking about it all along, like that does change how you experience the show. Oh, it certainly does. Um, I mean, and this show definitely benefits from the sort of interactive, you know, going online and, and deep digging until 
well, I mean, I guess everything has its limits. Um, well, out of curiosity, out of curiosity, we made Bobby our producer for this. Watch the show; you'd never <laughs> seen it. Bobby, did, when did you find out William and Man in Black were the same? And if it's right now, then I'm sorry. <laughs> is is it right now? Is that what you're asking? I finished the season, okay. bro. <laughs> okay, good. When did you find out? When did, did, where did you, you realize? Like? Not when did you find out? We didn't find out for sure until the end. But when did you? When did it first occur to you? Uh, it first occurred to me that it was separate timelines, and as I started, I think probably about like episode five. When is what episode is the reveal actually in? I think they full on confirm it in ten, but they heavily hint at it at nine. I believe. Yeah. So I think it's probably like a few episodes before then. Um, but I think it's mostly because like I'm I'm sort of looking for conspiracy theories and watching it the first time through because I can't watch it. Uh, I can't watch it like organically because I know just from discussing it with you guys and like pre-show meetings and discussing it with Heifetz because this is what he wants to talk to even talk about even off mic. Um, <laughs> I, I was like Bobby at nine o'clock last night. Yeah, like, I got to talk to you about the Garden of Eden. He literally called me. He was like, I got takes about Adam. And I'm like sitting in my driveway in the car on the phone. Uh, with a, with I was, a dog I, and a home to go to. I would say probably I had an inkling from when he started to show like evil murderous tendencies. When William so, did, uh, yeah, exactly. Sure. Um, well, I mean, I, I think I think a lot of people had the same experience. We also have a couple of other questions, as mentioned, that that you know were answered during the course of the show. Um, uh, is Bernard a host? I think probably occurred to people along. I mean, who was it? What was the first time, Danny? Uh, re- refresh my memory. Who was the first person on the show who we didn't realize was a host that turned out to be a host? Was it? Ber- it was somebody before Bernard, right? Or was that? I it? mean. No, it was Bernard was the shocking reveal. There's like the thing where he walks into Ford's cabin, like the cabin that he built for his family. Arnold had made right. like re- replicas of Ford's family as a child. And Ford brings Bernard there, or Bernard just finds it once. And then the second time, Bernard walks in with Teresa and she's like, let's go through this door. And he's like, what door? Mm-hmm. He doesn't know. He can't, he can't see, see it. the door after he's and just established they, that, that hosts can't see what they don't, what they're not meant to see. Exactly. And then he walks down and then he, if you didn't catch it then, then he's looking through a stack or Teresa's looking through a stack of all the creations and she finds Bernard and like, that was pretty shocking. Yeah, that, that was it. That was a big shock for the show. Um, for what it's worth, I wrote in my notes for season one, episode three, Wild Theory is Bernard a host. Yeah. So I was looking for it pretty early. Yeah, I think so. I mean, I think that... Pat on the back. Listen, when, when the whole premise of the show was that you can make uh, these androids that are indistinguishable from human beings for the most part. Uh, one's mind is definitely going to wander in that direction, especially when you have a character like Bernard, who is sort of robotic in everything that he does. Right? I mean, he's just he he has a he has a very sort of, um, well, I mean that's just it, or like a, a robotic sort of mean to his character. And yeah, it turned out, of course, that he was a robot uh, replica of Ford's initial partner Arnold, who was sort of the. I don't know. He was more of like the linen and Ford was the McCartney of this team up. He was like the real like, you know, the 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 artist with the with you know the bleeding heart artist of the of the duo and Who's Ringo? Uh I think I think t- size more Ringo. Oh, no. <laughs> size, I don't know. Um but and and uh and Arnold was when Arnold realized that uh, you know, host consciousness was was feasible, I think he was so overwhelmed by that concept that he was like we can't let people in here, we have to let the hosts evolve. It's our responsibility to them and so he came up with this like sort of cockamamie solution which was to let the host to let Dolores go crazy and kill all the other hosts because I guess that would make people think twice about letting human beings in there. Was that the general idea? Yeah, it's like this it's this whole grand gesture that he's like, "All right, we're I'm going to have Dolores kill all the hosts and then kill me." And then right at the end, when he's about to do it, he tells her, well, Ford can bring all of them back, 
but not me. And I'm like, he's, I'm like, oh, this is, this doesn't seem like a great solution because you could just not kill the host and you could just refuse to do this. So I feel like this is just a gesture. It's kind of, kind of odd. It's a little bit odd, but it, but it does. I mean, it, listen, it pays off so many times, not just in the sort of Wyatt storyline that ends up permeating the entire season, but also, of course, in the finale when uh, Ford, I guess, uh, constructs a situation in which Dolores kills him and all of the uh, the Delos uh, yes. folk that so are there. And then what all- happened was Wyatt was this character that was supposed to be like the big bad of the park. And then like when they were originally opening it 35 years before the, the timeline we're watching and he merges Wyatt Wyatt's arc into Dolores and that's what causes Dolores to kill all the hosts in that timeline and then kill him is that he merged those two things and it's also sort of a like a symptom of these reveries right that like on some level these all the hosts have this sort of recollection vague recollection of when Dolores murdered everybody at the behest of of Arnold and and that is what's kind of materializing as this Wyatt narrative is that am I reading am I reading too deeply into this to say that yeah, so basically, I, I I have found that it's easier to understand what the hell happened in this show if you just start from their beginning and you just think of it from, like, Ford or Arnold's perspective. Basically, Arnold had them, had Dolores kill everyone, right, and then kill him. Mm-hmm. 35 years later, Ford's like, you know what? That sounds, It's. I think Arnold is right. I'm going to do the same thing. I want to die in the same spot that Arnold died, and this time I want Dolores to be conscious and choose to do it. So I'm going to develop consciousness in Dolores. How do I do that? So what he does is he puts herself in the same situation. Where she, when she shoots Ford, he's standing in the exact same spot that Arnold died. Like to say he's in front of the saloon. He's at, like on a stage. So he's in an elevated spot. But it's the same place in Escalante, the town that he dug up because they buried it after Arnold died. He's standing in the same spot, which is kind of one of the reasons Dolores walks right up to him. It's like it was the same spot. But the way that he kind of recreated the situation so all that like is he instituted the reveries into all the older hosts that were kind of around at that time because this is one of the plot points where it gets lost. It's like those hosts were built differently, blah, blah, blah. It's a whole thing, but quite honestly, it doesn't matter. The point is that Ford planned for them to uprise and he wanted Dolores to be the first that's conscious. You can get so lost in the details, but honestly, like they don't ultimately matter. The point is that Ford wanted this and that Ford, after they kind of head faked and made it seem like he was the devil, it actually is like he got tired of humanity and he doesn't think humans are all that good, but he thinks that what he realizes is that after watching them for three decades, they're capable of change. He's just not letting them. But unlike humans who do not learn from the past, hosts at their core can learn from their mistakes, which he thinks humanity is very bad at. Wow, that's good. All right, so here are the big questions that we've just run through that we've answered. We know, uh, is Bernard a host? Yes. Who is the man in black? He's William. What are the reveries? Well, uh, I think we've we've touched on that. Uh, who is Wyatt? We know Wyatt was uh, Dolores or an old you know storyline character that was whose consciousness was emerged with Dolores's. What happened to Arnold? Uh, he was the old creator who um, you know uh, committed I guess robot suicide thirty years ago before the show began uh, or forty years ago. I'm I'm, I'm getting thirty five. Thirty five. Up or down? Uh, and then it, b- before I mean this is before the William and and. Uh, and Logan timeline, all of this happened. They, they, they mention it in passing, like you, you know, like some, like, like a, like a, you know, urban legend or whatever. Uh, we kind of know what Ford was up to. I mean, do you think we've covered his grand plan as much as, as much as it can be explained? Yeah. Well, it's just like, he has this, the whole season is just they're talking about Ford's new narrative. The new narrative. The narrative is instead of <laughs> Were like. Were talking about it on Mike and yeah, the Mad Dog? I'm confused. The, oh, did I merge like a New York and a British yeah, accent right so. there? 
Oh, sorry. It won't be the last time, I promise. But it's like, instead of the Bible beginning, like, in the beginning, you know, God created the heavens and the earth. It's like, this one's like, in the beginning, God was shot in the back of the head in front of the Escalante Saloon, and it begins with war. That's the new narrative. Mm. The new narrative was started the second Dolores pulled the trigger. The new narrative is, hey, those conscious androids are going to wage a war against humanity. So meanwhile, while all of this stuff is going on, we've talked about it, Maeve sort of finds her own path to consciousness in the lab, right? I mean, she wakes up, she realizes what's, if she starts to have some inkling that she, there's a world outside of Westworld, and so she keeps on killing herself so she can keep coming back to the lab, keep learning more. There are these two labs. Even that sounds so confusing, it's worth elaborating on a little bit. Oh, well, go ahead. Well, just, she, re, like, she remembers those guys, like the technicians, who are, like, dragging her back into the underworld, and there's kind of, like, big Hades vibes because like in a lot of not so much like um, monotheism but a lot of like ancient Greece and stuff there's an underworld that's like maintained um, by you know demons or whatever you want to call them and it's kind of like she's going back and forth like not quite like Orpheus but there is a lot of those kind of um, like return trips it's kind of like Charon like the uh, right back return, returning over and over again to the underworld or to the yes. or, or to the afterlife um so when she wakes, so she she has she's one of the first people that we see constantly. In I mean, I guess later we realize that Dolores has been having all these flashbacks too, but throughout the show they're largely presented as, um, well, I mean they they try to make us believe that they're that they're sequential events or at a bare minimum just her kind of remembering a thing that she would naturally remember. Maeve is actually having like traumatic flashbacks to a moment that clearly doesn't align with her current storyline so that when she starts waking up, both figuratively and literally on the repair table in the lab, she starts coming to this uh, deeper awareness, if not consciousness just yet. Um, and she goes back, like we said, over and over again so that she can constantly learn more and be uh, and, and engage again with the sort of outside world. Yeah, so, and then it turns out that what happened, what had happened was, is that Maeve was doing that whole thing actually because Ford had tinkered with her DNA, her, her code. This is what, I, and, yeah, this is what we need yeah. to get to here. So this is, this is the, the annoying part, but we can get to the nut of it. Maeve wasn't actually conscious when she was doing that whole horse and pony show, we're going to escape and doing the, the bank heist, but we're going to escape. It was actually Ford had given her a new drive, which was like to escape. So she basically was just doing it, but it was just still like she was being coded to do that. The, she actually becomes conscious when she's sitting on the train. It's like the last thing we, she, we see she does in season one. She's sitting on the train. She's holding the coordinates for like where she can find her daughter. And she's telling herself, well, I'm programmed to do this. I, she doesn't mean anything. She's just a story given to me. And then she's like, nope, screw it. I care about her. And she gets off. That wasn't in her programming. The programming was to escape. But following the love that she had from like a previous life, that was the first conscious decision she made. So she became conscious, kind of got free will by breaking the programming she has to go find her daughter. And that's the fundamental difference between Maeve and Dolores and really the nut of what matters well, here. That, I mean, and, is Maeve is motivated by love and Dolores is kind of motivated by like anger. We'll get more to that, more into that in the second season. But I do think that it's, I mean, we can go back and forth and we will spend a little bit of time talking about the concept of co consciousness, but... I mean, to be fair, Maeve making that decision at the last minute to go in pursuit of her daughter, and we should say, because we, I don't think we've said it out loud, her memories of her daughter is what's driven her even through this, the whole, I mean, this escape program, whether or not she was programmed to do it, right? I mean, it's just this love for her missing daughter who, uh, who is, I mean, is missing because she was 
her storyline was changed to one that doesn't have a daughter, but she knows that she had one in the past. It's really weird that the daughter is such an important thing and they don't give the daughter a name. Right. Really strange. Yeah, well. I'm, uh, one of those random decisions I don't really get. Um, there's probably a lot of reasons for that. But anyway, um, Maeve is, so, I mean, the, the big question here is how much of that is programmed and how much of, the, of it is not. And I think that the decision at the end was, I mean, I think that what you said is correct, but I do think that the, it was left open to the audience's interpretation a bit because we're talking about consciousness uh, in, a, in a couple of different ways here, right? I mean, we're talking about sort of self-actualization versus consciousness and everything else. The first, the if the first choice that she makes on her own is at the very, very end where she decides to leave the train and look for her daughter. I mean, not not take the train to the outside world and instead return to look for her daughter. I mean, there's so many ways we can look at this. That is clearly what Nolan and Joy have put forth in after the show was released as the answer, but they're not. I mean, I don't think they would insist that's the only way of looking at it, right? And there, and and clearly, her journey whether or not Ford put her on that path is what matters more than like the moment of full awareness. Is that safe to say? Yeah, no, I, uh, obviously, yeah. The journey, it's all about the journey. Um, That's welcome to Westworld. <laughs> so anyway, this is, so So if someone says, what was the new narrative? What was Ford's master plan? The master plan was, Maeve, so Maeve's, uh, you know, escape, her, Maeve, the, the Maeve heist was part of the plan, correct? Just to be really yeah, clear it, about it. The whole thing, I believe, I, this is where it's kind of annoying. It's like they planned a heist and let you see everything about it. Mm -hmm. The whole Maeve thing, I think, was just to start like a distraction. So all those hosts that were in the bottom in the basement, like the naked underworld freezer, whatever that was, uh -huh. they could all come upstairs and become Wyatt's uh, or Dolores's crew. Like those people shooting from the bushes at the end in the final scene were the people in cold storage. Like, those were the people in the flooded basement that were all standing there naked for 10 episodes or 9.9. .9. They, how did those 100 people, 200 frozen, like, like cold, deactivated bodies get upstairs? Apparently, the whole thing was, Maeve's whole thing was just to be a distraction. I think that's the most logical interpretation. Wow, you learn something every day. Thank you for that. Um, so it's one of those where it's kind of annoying because in retrospect, it didn't actually matter that much. Uh, but it was a hell of a thing to watch. The one last big question that we really need to touch on is what is the maze, right? I mean, the, the, oh the man in black spends the entire season trying to find the center of this maze. Um, you know, there's there are uh, there is a literal maze that is found kind of on the interior of the scalp of, of the, the hosts in Westworld or at least some of them. Um, it's also a, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's sort of a, a religious representation to some people, uh, in Westworld, um, in a bigger, you know, uh, the deeper meaning of the maze is it is the path that the hosts will take towards, uh, towards consciousness, right? Towards self-awareness. Yes. The maze is a theory of consciousness that Arnold then programmed into them. So it's, st he started with this idea, like the trying to build AI and he starts with a pyramid. And the bottom of the pyramid is memory. And then the one above that is improvisation and then self-interest. So if you can remember things and then you can improvise based on what you remember and then you can improvise based on what you remember for your self-interest, he thought you'd be conscious. But he was wrong and he didn't know why. It wasn't working. And then during this process, his son dies and he's really sad and he's so upset about it. He realizes that what he was missing wasn't self-interest, it was suffering. That suffering is what leads to consciousness. The avoidance of pain is kind of more important than a reward. And that's actually mirrors with human psychology. We kind of seek to remove discomfort more than we actually seek any given goal. So he 
realizes it's not a journey upward of a pyramid. It's a journey inward toward your suffering. So it's a, a maze, so to speak. And he figures it out while playing with his toy, like his kid's toy who passed away. And that's the toy that they have in the game, the actual maze. And that's where the shape comes from. But they kind of made it so complicated in the show because there's this thing, it's this pattern on the scalp and they never come back to it. And the actual thing of where it actually lands home is what is at the center of the maze, right? Mm-hmm. So, first of all, Teddy actually has a, a solid quote that he tries to explain it to William in the show. And he says, the maze itself is the sum of a man's life. The choices he makes, the dreams he hangs on to, there at the center is a legendary man who'd been killed over and over again countless times. Always clawed his way back to life. The man returned for the last time and vanquished all his oppressors in a tireless fury. Built a house, and around that house he built a maze so complicated only he could navigate his way through it. I reckon he'd seen enough of fighting. And so that's obviously a metaphor for how these hosts have died thousands of times, and they're learning from their mistakes, accumulating them, and then Ford kind of like removes the barriers between their memories so they can remember all of them, kind of overwhelmed by the trauma. There's, all right, so what is the, what is the actual maze then, right? So Arnold programmed them to hear a voice telling them what to do. The, like this is the bicameral mind thing. He programmed them to hear his voice, but they're hearing their own code in his voice. But they were, it was just his voice in their head, but they're actually hearing their own code. They're hearing their own voice. The center of the maze is when Dolores gets there and realizes she's been talking to herself. She's been listening to herself. And Arnold was just this thing her mind had kind of created to represent that because that's too mind-blowing. But then she gets to the center and realizes that she has free will. So the center of the maze is free will. So, I mean, in some sense, the maze is like a... uh is like a, is like training wheels for the path. It's not to, it's not it's not a symbol of the path to consciousness. It's sort of training wheels for it. It allows you to sort of get yes. there without realizing that you've been on this separate path the whole time. And if that was too long, the too long don't read version of this is what's at the center of the maze. You you are at the center of the maze. It's like there's a monster at the end of this book, and it was Grover the whole time. Um, all right, let's move along to one of our official weekly categories: the biggest and most shocking reveal of the week, or in this case, of season one. And now I finally understand what you were trying to tell me. Uh, we got a lot of good options here. Danny, do you want to suggest any? I mean, this is a loaded category, but there's four, I think, good ones, which is Bernardo's a host, which that was just an amazing sequence. Mm-hmm. And that's when Bernard's a host and then he kills Teresa and it's like awful and really extremely dark because they were having sex uh-huh. and they were hooking up. So really dark. And then the, almost crazier thing that Bernard like is Arnold or Bernard was made as a copy of Arnold. Yeah. That one's blew my mind. And then Dolores is Wyatt. That one kind of sucked. <laughs> that one. I, I like I, that one. Come on. Oh, you like that one? Why, why do you like it? Well, I mean, I, I just, I, I don't know. I thought, I thought that was really cool. We spent the whole, I mean, they, I think they just did a really good job of laying it out down to the point that the actor that they had play Wyatt in one scene. Like there was one scene, I think in the whole season where we see Wyatt and Teddy walking down the street and shooting everybody. I remember the, I mean, this is like just wonderful Reddit discovery or whatever, but the, but the, um, if you look at the IMDb page of the actor that just played that one like part with no lines walking down the street in an old West outfit and shooting people. And he has this big scraggly beard. If you look at his headshot without the beard, he looks exactly like Evan Rachel Wood. And I have no idea if that was on purpose, but it was like real. I mean, it's that sort of like meticulous planning where. You know, I feel like the show it just, you know, really benefits from the sort of minds that are behind it. A lot of minds. 
Speaking of minds, my my pick for the most shocking reveal, which even more so than the Bernard one, which probably should win, but my contrarian one is Dolores in the bicameral mind. And when Dolores is sitting across from her, so like the last, or like the penultimate scene of the season finale, and Dolores is talking to Arnold like one last time, and then it, the camera kind of pans around, and she's talking to herself, and she's like, oh, I am at the center. Like, I've been listening to my voice the whole time. I'm a sap. I love it. I love the idea that what Ford had just been explaining of the div- like the divine power does not come from up. It comes from in. It comes from your mind. Your mind is the divine power once you recognize you've been listening to your voice the whole time. You haven't been listening to God. It's been you. And then she realizes that, wow, I I exist. Well, so I mean, the one you love the it. one you didn't mention, of course, is that uh, William and the Man in Black are the same person, which I guess is, wasn't particularly shocking when it happened. I thought to me. The one that really had the most power was was the the revelation that Bernard was a host, not because I hadn't thought about it, but because, like you mentioned, I think it was just really well executed right there in that moment. Just the whole, just the build up to like you know, hosts can't see anything they're not meant to see, and then she's like, "What? Where does this door go?" And he says, "What door?" And then you just sort of the glitching begins. It, it was it was really really well done, but all of them um, are uh, reveals worth. So if you found out William was the Man in Black organically in the finale, then that's definitely it. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I didn't suspect. If you that. if you if you experienced the show that way, then that that had to be it. Um, or even if you just figured it out soon before, then then it has then it's a really kind of satisfying reveal. All right, uh, the best quote or monologue of the season. Do you know now who you've been talking to? There's a whole lot of them. So season two, season so two is going to be a mess of these things. There's so many. Season one had, had had their had a uh, its fair share as well. Um, these violent delights have violent ends is the one, I guess that's from Romeo and Juliet that we hear over and over again throughout the show, starting with Peter Abernathy, who in a previous life was a Shakespeare quoting cult leader, I guess that, which is where that came yeah, from. Cannibals, something it's a, you know, it's a hobby. Cannibalism. We all get into that from time to time. We all dabble. Who among, I, I, yeah, exactly. Who among us has uh, not dabbled? At first I thought, here, here's a separate one. Oh, this is Maeve. Uh, at first, I thought you and the others were gods. Then I realized you're just men. And I know men. You think I'm scared of death. I've done it a million times. I'm fucking great at it. How many times have you died? So anyway, that's that whole, the whole concept of, you know, the, 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 or the, the, the difference between gods and men. And now, even in the bicameral mind, which you were talking about before, the, I mean, the, the basic tenet is that before people realized that they had inner thoughts, they thought that those voices in their head were God talking to them. Um, and that's a, a nice separate distillation of that, too. Uh, wait, do you have, do you have any, uh, any suggestions for this category? So many. How long do you got? Just give me a couple. Nah, just give, just give me two. Dolores, uh, when Dolores is talking to the man in black and realizes that he's William Mm -hmm. and then realizes the guy she's in love with and thinks is coming for her is the guy who's like trying to kill her. And she's, and she like beats the crap out of him and says, they say great beasts once roam these lands big as mountains. Now all that is left of them is bone and amber. Time undoes even the mightiest of creatures. Shoemaker, why didn't you prepare me? Just look what it's done to you. Why didn't you prepare me for Heifetz's Dolores voice? (laughs) I think think I have it wiped from my memory every time I go back (laughs) to the lab. Doesn't sound like anything to me. It's alarming. I wish it sounded like nothing to me. Oh, let's keep going. So we got to that. Yeah, that one's really good. Um, I just love this a hell of a breakup burn. Yeah, it is. It's true. The, The two best ones, though, I think. One and two are the two best Ford speeches of the season, which one, his final speech is amazing. Oh, yeah. Because the last things he says are, they say Mozart, Beethoven, and Chopin never died. They simply became music. And I hope you will enjoy this last piece very much. Drink champagne, get shot in the back of the head. 
Uh, Amazing way to go out. And go on. You have another one? Well, the, my favorite one, though, is the peacock feather speech, which is like the darkest part of the whole show because Teresa realizes Bernard's a host. Ford comes down and she, she's she like slowly realizing she's going to get killed. And then Ford kind of gives his like big baddie speech, uh, which is just absolutely amazing. I read a theory once that the human intellect was like peacock feathers, just an extravagant display intended to attract a mate. All of art literature, Beethoven, Mozart, William Shakespeare, Michelangelo, and the Empire State Building. Just an elaborate mating ritual. Maybe it doesn't matter that we have accomplished so much for the basest of reasons. But of course, the peacock can barely fly. It lives in the dirt, pecking insects out of the muck, consoling itself with its great I have come to think of so much of consciousness as a burden, a, a weight, and we have spared them that. Anxiety, self-loathing, guilt. The hosts are the ones who are free. Free, here, under my control. That's when you kind of realize that he's not with people like he doesn't think people are impressive he thinks people are kind of like a plague yeah that's sort of the moment where you start realizing he, well, I don't know if that's his face turn but it's definitely when you realize that he might not be the sort of force of evil as as he was tending towards through kind of half of the show um my vote has to go to these violent delights have violent ends it's just sort of you know a, a perfect i mean it was it was introduced at the beginning of the show at the beginning of the season and really it was everything the end was about but you mentioned at the end he talks about bozart the, the the quote where mozart beethoven and chopin never died they simply became music that obviously <sighs> will have a lot of bearing on season two and uh so yeah so one of the big questions at the end of the show is 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 Ford somehow still alive or will Ford have a presence in season two? What, I mean, talk about that. And what other, what are some of the other like big mysteries that remained with us at the end of season one, as we were awaiting season two, what were we still wondering about? Have you ever questioned the nature of your reality? Well, first of all, Brian Curtis would be, give you a demerit for the talk about right there <laughs> but <laughs> but uh i mean yeah the ford whether ford built a whole host like uh and put it out there giving the speech and that he the, the host got shot and ford is still out there somewhere that was like a huge thing between season one and season two but also the larger gap between season one and season two because there were two years they pushed season two back so season one came out in uh, October of 2016 was the premiere. And then season two didn't come back until the spring of 2018. So there was so much time to just think. And what we learned was, oh, any of these people can be hosts. Any of these people can be alive. We don't know who's alive. We don't know who's dead. So anything was really possible. And that was kind of one of the addicting things. Somewhat like Lost, where everything was kind of in play. Mm -hmm. So there wasn't really a limit on it. But I think Ford, Ford being alive or dead was a huge point of contention. Whether Dolores and Charlotte were, or sorry, Dolores and Maeve were actually conscious or if they still had to, they were still being programmed and controlled by Ford. I think most of the addicting stuff was like how much of this was still being puppeteered by Ford. But There's still a lot of questions too about the man in black character, right? I mean, he's William, but we still, I guess, refer to him as the man in black because that's the name for like the old William. Um, we still don't know exactly what his role is, although he seems to be, he's obviously there 
uh, I don't even think we've mentioned this so far. He is, I mean, William, the young William talks about taking control of Westworld, taking control of Del- the Dallas Corporation, which is then invests in Westworld. I mean, all of that proves to be true. Is is I mean, his plan comes to fruition because in that last scene amongst at the Black Tie Gala where Ford is unveiling his new narrative for all of the wealthy, you know, Delos folk, uh, the man in black is there in a tuxedo uh, amongst them. He's clearly the head of the Delos Corporation, but we still, there's still questions that remain to be answered about, you know, what his motivation is. Like, how did we get to the, how did he get to this point, right? For me, like a, a mini shock was that moment he reveals he's the philanthropist, billionaire owner of the park sure. and is like, leave me alone, I'm on vacation. Yeah. And I'm like, wow, like, it's kind of sad. Mm-hmm. That's kind of crazy. Uh, but, yeah, there's so much we don't know about him. And I think one of the interesting things going into season three is just like, we're going to find out what the hell he is. We see him in the real world. I think that's kind of fascinating. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, it's, he's basically just a gamer. Like, that's kind of the thing that's important to remember here is it's like he's this big, bad guy. No, he's just a guy who is obsessed with a real-life video game. It's like, if you know anyone who plays the most video games in your life, someone way more than that, that's William. It's just he loved it so much he bought the video game company. <laughs> Um, and he is trying to read way too much significance into this. Although I guess you can make the case that this is the the only video game of any significance in the entire world. I mean, this is if 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 robots are achieving consciousness, if humans can find some deeper value, deeper meaning of life. What does he eventually say? That well, no, it's just for bill. It's just for billionaires who are paying. First of all, actually, a little nitpick with the show, they make the mistake I think of real real uh, relaying that it's like ten thousand dollars a day to attend. That doesn't seem like it will cover all these operating expenses. I don't know. I don't, I don't know. get the books the, of this part. the way inflation's going, if this is far enough in the future, that could be nothing. That's what I'm saying. It doesn't really make any sense. Oh, that it's not enough money? Oh, I, this park is running at a huge loss. And even though they're dealing with all this data, I get that maybe it's an investment. But I don't know. I feel like this $10,000, like, there's so many costs, man. You got to pay all these techs. There's so much blood. Like, but here's none the thing. Of this is cheap. They're not out there trying to make money off of people attending the park. They want the data, which we'll get much more well, to in season two. Do you know two. my biggest, my biggest issue with the show, though? What? There, you don't have to charge enough. There, there isn't like an easy way to pay because the obvious way you're going to break out this game, like revenue wise, you're going to have to pay for everything, right? Mm-hmm. They never do that. What do you mean, like, 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 uh, like for each each separate thing that you do, you pay? Yeah. No, it's just like a hotel. You leave your credit card at the front desk, and then whatever you do, it just ends up on your bill at the end. Oh, you think that's how it works? They're plainly keeping track of everybody. I think they have a pretty good idea of how you're spending your time. Wow. That's terrifying to think. Like, what William's bill That's the be. most that's terrifying wild. thing that happened on this show this season? I mean, that bill would be pretty bad. Yeah. Well, that's the thing. It's just like you, you get in there and the next thing you know, you're just totally broke. But listen. Don't go to the mini bar. Don't go to the mini bar. Um, so, yeah. So, I mean, there's a lot of outstanding questions leading in uh, to the next season. I think that you hit on the biggest one, which is this becomes a show sort of like it's like Battlestar Galactica, where at some point the show has to recognize that everyone is looking at it as like, who's a Cylon, who's not a Cylon. Right. I mean, like that's the, that I still haven't seen Battlestar Galactica well, since the last time we did this. podcast. Don't watch it. But that ends up becoming that instead of being like a subplot. When you're uh, the, the, for the viewers, that becomes the overwhelming narrative, even if it's sort of a side issue. So we're looking at every single character in the show now, wondering whether or not they're a host. Um, and you know, there are a lot of good people. There are a lot of people who really seem like hosts that we're not quite sure if they were or not. But we'll get. M- well, this is where the writing's kind of annoying because Teresa is such a robotic character, mm-hmm. and Sizemore is such an extra character for no reason. And you think that they're going somewhere with that, and then they weren't. It just turned out that it was kind of bad writing and bad acting at kind of the beginning of the first season. 
Yeah. It, like, there's, like, Sizemore just freaks out a couple times. And never mind the fact that Teresa's smoking cigarettes 30 years in the future, which is crazy she's not vaping. But then Sizemore's just lashing out and screaming at bosses. It doesn't make any sense. Yeah, there was the scene where the where the uh, the, that one lab tech towards the end decides to uh, have his way with uh, with Hector, and he puts in some like earbuds that are like that, wireless, yes, but they're like they look many generations older than like the you know I the earpod the pods that we all have now. Well, they're like earpods; they got those right. But that scene also speaks to just how the whole first season was just over sexualized, like way too much, yeah. and they really corrected for that in season two. But there's so much completely pointless nudity totally. in this. I mean, never mind the fact that, I mean, you have an office with all glass windows where all the hosts are always naked. But, and, you know, you can try to, it, it, it's, it feels outdated. All right, well, you mentioned Sizemore uh, and, and the crazy stuff that he does. Uh, we have a little thing on the show called the This Maze Was Not Meant For You Award for the Dumbest Human. Um, this is really tough to do, to, to, t- to decide who the dumbest human was uh, for the entire first season because there were a lot of them. And listen, um, for the purposes of this award for this season, anybody that has not been revealed to be a host um, can is is eligible for the Dumbest Human Award for season one. Uh, you mentioned Sizemore. His character is that he is a loudmouth moron. He does the dumbest thing in the world uh, numerous times, uh, including getting really hammered and peeing from the balcony onto the uh, model of Westworld that everybody has to work off of, which was... Uh, quite a scene. And then having an improv... Can we just talk... Like, he didn't get fired or reprimanded. Mm. Just peed on work property well, in front of, like, 30 people. Well, listen, we can... No so problem. You can, so, you, so let's give, you know, Teresa or at least Charlotte Hale a, a, a Dumbest Human Award, too, because she was standing right there when it happened. She seems... was sort of smugly, you know, looking at him just like, all right, dude, you know, I guess now I have some ammo on you or something. I guess she didn't need him for what was this going work, to come next. No, no, no. This workplace is a disaster. There is no accountability. Teresa's the only even semi-competent employee. Everyone else is clearly an idiot. It, it's just there's Teresa's a lot of a, violations okay, going wait, but on. Teresa, there's health code. There's, I mean, there's a lot of, there's a lot of issues. But she, between Charlotte and Teresa, one of them must be aware that there had been previous people in Teresa's position murdered in the park, right? I mean, or like, or even if not murdered, it's like, well, I'm going to accept this CFO job or whatever it is. Funny thing. Seven of the past ten CFOs have tumbled down wells and broken their neck while while on the job. Like that, like I don't know. I think somebody might have been aware that that was taking place, or should have, or should have at least. Well, it's also looked at the numbers. They're so they're so bad. It's actually to the point where you can't help but go to the like the writing and the most. This is so silly. The you know what the most jarring part of the first season rewatching it for me was the part where I was like, "This is unbelievable." Is when Teresa is, Charlotte tells Teresa, come to my room for a meeting. I need to talk to Mm -hmm. you. So Teresa goes to Charlotte's room, knocks on the door, and she's loudly having sex with Hector. And like, like she's using Hector as a, as a, as a sex doll. Charlotte opens the door naked and Teresa's like, I can come back another time. And Charlotte's like, no, now is good. (laughs) Now it's like, that's, that's one of the points where that's not even a Charlotte thing. That's just a. They were writing this show in the first season in such an, such an over-sexualized way yeah. that it actually was distracting. Why is this happening? It's also, it didn't make any sense. I mean, sense. listen, it also was being written at just a breakneck pace. I feel like every instance of Charlotte Hale until, like, maybe the last two episodes felt like she had just been added in post or something. Like, they were just rushing to get this character in for kind of reasons. Well, I mean, probably just to get Tessa Thompson in the show. I mean, and if that's not the case, that's definitely how it felt. But going back to the This Maze Is Not Meant For You Award, all of these people are... Worthy of the award. What? But come on. I mean, Felix and, Felix Sylvester. and Sylvester, the two lab techs that are in charge of uh, Maeve and, and are governing her kind of uh, 
process of, con- of of gaining consciousness. They are they're the dumbest. They're just the dumbest. That's the care. I mean, on the one hand, those the, that's the way the character was. The characters were written. On the other hand, man, they're real dumb. Yeah, there's like a thousand ways that they could have just done smarter things, and they didn't. They're just stupid. And then season two, they get dumber. So the smartest thing that Felix did the whole se- season was wonder if he was a host. Because then he was like, oh, and he looks at his hands like, am I? And she's like, no, you're, you're not one of us. Well, that's one of those questions is leading into season two. Because I think if you had asked anybody, they would have said with anybody who would, who would spend a lot of time on the show, including those people who would spend a lot of time on Reddit talking to other people. I think the vast majority of people would have, would have presumed that, that Felix and Sylvester were, were hosts. But the other theories that they're hosts is like, oh, this guy's a host because it would make sense with this plot. And that would explain why he did this and blah, blah, blah. And like, you know, cool things. And the Sylvester and Felix thing, thing is like, they're so stupid. They're so dumb that the only way to explain how stupid they are is that they're not in control of their own lives. Which, which is would mean, diff- the, the, tough. Oh, you mean they're, they're, if they're, I mean, they are so stupid. They're, they are, they're, the characters themselves are so dumb that the only. That they must the, have been programmed right, to be helping that Maeve, Maeve. That Maeve is using her powers or they are programmed to help Maeve because that's the only way their stupidity makes sense. Yeah. Like, let's also not sh- forget the Delo security team that is monitoring these cameras where all, like, like a host slashes an employee's throat in the middle of a (laughs) glass room where everyone can see blood is pooled on the floor. This is not immediately resolved. He's screaming. No one comes. There's allegedly cameras. This is a very, I mean, it's set in the future, but listen, this is the way that like very, that modern tech companies work. Like Facebook is just like, we're just (laughs) not going to patrol the comments. If if anything problematic goes up, we're just, if we, it's, if we produce, if we, if we police none of it, then we can wash our hands and be, and and be okay. If we just police some of it, then that's, you know, that's when we're going to get into trouble. Yeah. I guess if you read about like the Facebook content moderators, that seems like this is 30 years later. This, that's what they're in charge of watching throats get slashed in the Westworld labs, which is to say they're not not paying that much attention. All right. That was season one. Bobby, is there anything else we need to talk about? Not that I can think of. Wouldn't that be great if there was a character we hadn't even mentioned yet? Like a very, like a central. You just like forgot to mention Teddy. And like, <laughs> we really haven't mentioned Teddy very I, much. I have, I mean, Teddy doesn't matter. I, I will try to go this whole season talking about Teddy as, as little as humanly possible. Is he going to be in season three? I think so. Wait, wait. The one thing that I, that you guys didn't talk about, which this might be my weird like physics guy corner over go here, but it. like, how the hell does this work? You know, am I really supposed to just believe that like one line of code that Dr. Ford changes can make all of the guns actually kill the guests? Oh, yeah. That, that, was, the, that was the biggest question I had while watching it so, throughout the entire first season. It's like they just get they get in an elevator and then they get put in Westworld and then the guns don't kill them, but they feel like the guns kill them and then they come regenerate their bodies. Like what is it's not even a facsimile of yourself. It's not like a copy and a, a virtual copy of yourself because it is your real body because then they die at the end. So this is actually the crux of the problem with the show and the thing I think people get frustrated mm-hmm. with. There are some things you are supposed to read incredibly deeply into mm-hmm. and the maze is like the Garden of Eden in a host's mind and other things are like the guns just, they work sometimes and they don't and there's a button, don't worry about it. Yeah. And like the gun, that's the answer. It's just, they addressed it twice and you just, yeah, no, they don't work on people. But like at the end, they can. What? Like, it doesn't make any sense. Yeah, that's definitely true. I mean, they they talk a little bit about Ford. I mean, I, this is hand wavy, but like Ford talks, when when uh, there's one scene towards the end where where Bernard is becomes aware that he is he is himself a host and he sort of holds Ford hostage, right? He like, he, uh, he, he Clementine has previously been rigged by, 
uh, the lab techs to like, I mean, they, they, they lobotomized her basically, but she has the ability to attack a human. There's a long story behind it. It, it doesn't matter a lot, but, but, but anyway, Bernard, knowing that he cannot shoot for that, he cannot physically threaten for because he's not, because he's coded to not do it, brings out the lobotomized Clementine to be his trigger man. And then, uh, when he, when he actually sicks her on Ford, she can't do it because it turns out there is like an override at the very base of even the lobotomized toast that they can't attack Ford or they can't attack humans, whatever else. But we know that Ford basically has all this subcode beneath the code that he has like, you know, 10 things that he knows to be true that, that only he can override, blah, blah, blah. But yeah. I, to answer, to really though answer your question though, Bobby, there's a quote that Ford says in I think the first or second episode, he tells Bernard and he says, we practice witchcraft. We speak the right words and we create life itself out of chaos. I think that all this tech stuff can, it's a lot simpler if you just look at it. it. It's supposed to be magic. One of the things the show does in season one and two is it blurs the line between when does technology become magic if you don't understand how it works? Yeah. Like if you took someone from 80 years ago and you gave them an iPhone it's, and it can solve any math problem, the calculator app alone, it's, it's magic. You know, he says, another thing he says is, you know, that everything in the world is magic except to the magician. I'm glad that you didn't tell me to just go like learn Python, you know, (laughs) believe in magic is easier than just like write code in C, my dude. The science is supposed to be magical in the show. And it's in that way, it's sci-fi kind of fantasy mix. Like the fantasy elements are presented as science, but there's a lot more magic than like the Ford's like a wizard. That's true. Ford's a wizard, but Danny Heifetz, you're the real wizard around here for knowing all this stuff. Listen, everybody, thank you for listening to our season one recap. I hope we touched on some of it. I hope that we, you know, made your rewatch a little bit happier or your first watch if you're just getting into this stuff. We're going to be back in, what, uh, how many hours with with uh, with our season two preview, Bobby? Oh, I thought we were just doing it right now. It's going. <laughs> 48 hours. 48 hours from now, we will be dropping our uh, our, our season two preview or season two review, sorry, and then uh, Sunday after the immediately after the East Coast airing of Westworld season three, episode one, we will be there live on the internet to talk about not live, but sort of live on the internet to talk about what just happened and uh, to give you our very wizardy thoughts on the subject. Bobby, Danny, thank you for doing this. All you guys out there, thank you for listening. Um, did I have like a fancy sign off for the show last season? Thank you for waking us from our deep and dreamless slumber. Let's just go with that. See you guys in two days. Welcome to Westworld. Wait, are we using... <laughs> are we Westworld the Recapables or are we the Recapables Westworld? The Recapables Westworld. All right. Great stuff. Three, two, one...